Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, ungod- all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men, and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, Insolent, arrogant and boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today we're... um continuing our series of Bible talks on money matters. And uh, as uh, was said earlier, it's an interesting passage on that topic, uh, Romans 1. Uh, but, so before we get into it, let's uh, just bow in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. I wonder if someone might turn some fans on before we do that, because I see a few people waving their bulletins and they're not reading them um, <laughs> and that indicates to me that there might be a uh, circulation issue in the, we need to deal with first up. <clears throat> it's that time of year where we're not quite sure do we put on the air conditioners or not. I think it needs to get a bit warmer before we do that. Thanks Cassie for that. Okay, well let's just bow in prayer. Father we thank you for your word and we thank you for the opportunity we've got now to give it some serious consideration. And uh, we pray also for the kids in Sunday school that you'd be uh, working through the Bible teaching there to help them to get to know you better. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2008, Warren Buffett was the richest man in the world. Uh, Not surprising because he was worth... $62 billion. How about that? 
Imagine what that would be like. Can you imagine what it would be like to have $62 billion at your disposal? It's the power to, to buy whatever you'd like to buy and to buy it whenever you would like to buy it. Incredible. $62 billion. Uh, it's the power to, to live in ultimate luxury, in comfort, uh, to, to, to have authority to do things that you wouldn't have otherwise. Buffett is arguably the most successful investor in the world today. So at 81 years of age, what do you think he thinks about money? Well, let me tell you, uh, not a lot actually. Uh, he intriguing thing about Warren Buffett is he lives quite a simple sort of lifestyle and he's, he dropped from being number one in the world in 2008 to something less than that in 2009 because he just went and gave a whole stack of money away. Uh, this is what he thinks about money. He, he says, and I quote, when you get to my age, you'll measure your success in life by how many people you want to love you actually do love you. And he goes on to say that there is nothing very much material that I actually want uh, in life. Uh, because like many rich people, he's discovered that money doesn't make you happy. What do you think about that? Do you think that money makes you happy? Do you think it could possibly make you happy? People, there are people who research this and the, uh, the researchers that I've read on the internet, uh, they say that the answer to that question, does, make, does money make you happy? The answer to that is uh, yes. Uh, money does make you happy. It makes you happy. Um, and they also say the answer to that question is no, that money doesn't make you happy. Uh, but you see, it's easy for a billionaire, for a multi-billionaire with his $62 billion, it's easy for him to say that uh, money doesn't make you happy. But what if you're dirt poor? You know, what if you don't have enough cash to put food on the table or you're struggling to pay the rent? Or, you know, uh, money, to that extent, can make you happy to a certain point. Forbes magazine surveyed the 100 wealthiest people in the United States to try to find out how happy they are in comparison to everyone else. And they discovered that the 100 wealthiest people in the United States were happier than the average American by about that much. Just a tiny bit more happy. We don't need the experts to tell us that money ultimately doesn't make you happy. When you think about it, most of us uh, realise that truckloads of money uh, isn't going to make the world of difference uh, to your happiness in life. But that kind of thinking isn't real good for the economy. <clears throat> it's not good for business, is it? Uh, business needs for us to keep on thinking that uh, the things that money can buy are going to make us happy. That's how the economy keeps on ticking over. And so the advertising industry keeps telling us about the new things that we must own uh, if we're going to be really happy. Uh, the new plasma TV the, and so on. Uh, turn on the television 
and uh, implicitly we're being told that life would be more fulfilling uh, if we somehow possessed things that we didn't currently possess. Now, last week we saw that the material things that God gives us are good, that there's nothing wrong with money, there's nothing wrong with possessions, that they're good gifts from God. And yet we know that we can be surrounded by all of the things that money can buy and still have that empty feeling. Why is it so? Why is it that a person can be surrounded by great wealth and not be satisfied? Um, This morning as we explore this issue, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, which you might want to have open in your Bibles at page 796. And as I said earlier, on the topic of money, this seems like a strange place to start because it doesn't actually say very much about money itself. But it's a passage which helps us to understand why it is that money and possessions fail ultimately to bring satisfaction. So can I get you to open up your Bibles at Romans chapter 1? We'll start by looking at verse 18 where Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. All right, so how long has it been since God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine being have been clearly seen? How long has it been since that started happening. What does the passage say? It's been since? Since creation. Since the very beginning. Now that means that uh, Adam saw it and Eve saw it as well. Um, God spoke to Adam verbally but he also spoke to Adam through the creation So that when Adam looked up at the sun and the moon and the stars, uh, when he looked around him in the garden, when he looked at the woman that was with him, he knew that God existed and he knew that what he saw was fantastic and he gave all praise uh, to God. He knew that God had created these things. Now, is that the same for you? Uh, last Monday afternoon, Alyssa and I went for a walk. <clears throat> and uh, you know that coastal walk from Oxley Beach through to Town Beach? It's great, isn't it? You've got the flag staff there that you can walk up, uh, look, uh, walk up onto and so on. So we're walking along and we look out over the ocean and there it was. Well, there was two of them actually. Uh, Mum and little baby whale. <laughs> Frolicking about. You know how they kind of flap their, their fins and splash and so on? And then the, the adult whale comes surging up out of, out of the ocean, a mighty beast surging up out of the ocean, and then, you know what happens? Splash! It's got that wow factor, doesn't it? 
absolute wow. I, we took a photograph of it using the zoom lens. I tried, tried to put it up on the screen today, but I got the technical things wrong. And then we're walking along, and there's a whole bunch of weeds. And in amongst the weeds, there is this spectacular single flower. I can't describe to you how beautiful it was, but it was just um, delicate. Uh, it was awesome. Um, the, the flowers that the ladies prepare for, for us every Sunday, have a look at the bunch that's out there today. In the, it's, it's awesome when you think about it. Absolutely awesome. It just came from someone's backyard. You don't have to walk too far to see these things. The whale, you could, that's one kilometre, it would take you 13 minutes to walk from here to there to see where we saw the whale from. You don't have to go to different parts of the world, it's all around us. Uh, there's a guy I saw um, on a video during the week, he's, uh, he's a Dutch man in Holland and he must be an engineering type because he makes what he calls his machine animals. Uh, down on this lonely beach, he's uh, out of PVC. He's created these beasts out of plastic, and some of you have seen the video, right? I don't know how big they would be. Maybe about a third of the size of this building, uh, in, in in this part of the building. Very very intricate, with lots of legs, and he's built them so that. It only takes a small bit of wind, a small breeze. And what do they do? They start running and walking. And off they go. And he's designed them so that uh, well, one day he hopes to let them leave home. Just set them free and let them go and live their lives. They can, they can, they can just keep on walking. They, they're like animals. They can't reproduce. Well, what he said is, uh, as I've been building these things, I, I just marvel at the creator who's been doing this for a long, long time and his things do reproduce. It's marvellous, isn't it? It's, when you look at creation, there is this wow factor. Um, and um, uh, it, 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 there, there's, there's beauty, there's grandeur, there's great engineering, there's delicate design which is all around us. And Romans 1 tells us that all of the good things that God has made just scream out to us that there is a God, that he's incredibly wise and that uh, his character is just absolutely awesome. But I wonder if you've noticed how even brilliant scientists who spend their lives studying the stars and studying astronomy uh, end up coming to the conclusion, isn't Mother Nature marvellous? Why is that so? Why is it that people can look out at the creation and not see God? Well, verse 28 is, is the devastating truth because in verse 28 we're told they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. How about that? I mean, you wouldn't want to have any deep thoughts about the one who created you, would you? Enjoy the creation, but ignore and reject the creator. Now this, of course, is the very nature of sin. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve turned their backs on God 
Um, why is it that they did not eat, that they went and ate the fruit? Because they believed uh, that, that they could do a better job of running their lives than God could. Uh, they didn't want God to run their lives. Uh, they thought it would be wiser and better to reject what God had said. And so just like toxic waste that pollutes a water system, Adam and Eve's sin of rebelling against God has flowed through down to us. Uh, the beauty of the world around us, the wonderful ways that God provides for our needs, the material things that we enjoy should actually be drawing us uh, to a closer and a deeper affection uh, for God. But instead, people reject him. When he is the one who alone can satisfy our deepest needs. Now, what's all of this got to do with money? Well, the reality is that when we evict God from our thinking and from our lives, there is still this God-shaped vacuum uh, in our hearts. And what do people do about that? What do they do instead? Well, verse 21. Uh, in verse 21, uh, it says, uh, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Friends, we are the only creatures who have been made in the image of God. And amongst other things, what that means is that we are the only creatures who possess this, who, who possess this sense of purpose which uh, goes beyond being born, eating, reproducing and dying. We are worshipping beings who have refused to worship our maker. So we turn to idols. In our world today, there are hundreds of millions of people who regularly bow down to blocks of wood and statues carved out of stone, worshipping them. I don't think that happens a great deal in Port Macquarie. There is a shop downtown where you can buy idols, I've noticed. But uh, I don't think that there's too many people in Port Macquarie who go home at the end of the day and prostrate themselves before the family um, idol. Of course, worshipping idols is easier than worshipping God, isn't it? Why do you think that's so? Well, because... Idols don't make us, we make them. Idols don't rule us, we rule them. Whereas God has made us and God ought rightly to rule us. But we do have our idols, don't we? For what is an idol? An idol is anything which fills the place in our heart that rightly belongs to God. It's the thing which uh, fills a person's dreams and longings. Uh, it's the goal which drives our efforts. It's the ambition 
that we desire the most. Whatever that thing is in, in, in our lives, if it is occupying the part of place that God ought to rightly occupy, then that thing is our idol. That thing is our God. So what about money? Um, in the New Testament, greed for money is explicitly called an idol. I wonder if I can show you a couple of passages that, uh, uh, that say that. Uh, perhaps if you could uh, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, which you'll find on page 834, just have a look at what Paul says in verse 5. Everyone got that? Colossians 3 verse 5. <clears throat> Paul says, Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature... Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed which is idolatry. See? Greed which is idolatry. Uh, go back a page or two to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. See, greed is explicitly referred to as idolatry. Um, what do you think greed is? Well, it's a passion for money. Now, money itself is not wrong. But greed is, that, greed is that kind of passion for money which, says that, uh, which, which, which takes the place of a passion for God. It's the passion that says that I will be satisfied if I get that pay increase, that I will be fulfilled, that life will be somehow more meaningful if I hit that jackpot. We've heard a lot about that in the press lately, haven't we? Greed is idolatry. But there's two problems with that. First of all, it's like chasing after the wind. If you think that, that money and possessions is going to give you satisfaction in life, that's like trying to catch the wind. You can never quite catch it because it always goes through your fingers. Solomon found that, didn't he? King Solomon. Uh, he, was, he was the Warren Buffett of the ancient world, except he actually spent his money on himself. But have a look at what King Solomon said about that in the book of Ecclesiastes. I've printed this for you on those sheets so you don't have to look it up. Have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. You see that on your outlines? Let me read it for you. Solomon says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself in the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. 
I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all of my labour. I mean, he's living the good life, isn't he? This is the dream come true. Anything he wants, he's just been able to take it and uh, spend on himself the pleasures, the delights of the heart of man. He had it all. Yet, he says, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was, what does it say? Meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Here is the man who had it all. And what did he find? It did not satisfy. Uh, John Lennon once said, I'm really, really glad that I made so much money when I was so young because I didn't have to waste my whole life only to find that it didn't satisfy. But it gets worse. See, not only will money not satisfy, but secondly, in Romans 1, we're told that when we live for the created things rather than for the creator, that we will suffer the punishment of God's wrath because we've rejected God. Uh, Recently, a team of secular academics from the Australian National University and from Deakin University uh, surveyed 2,000 ordinary Aussies to find out what makes people satisfied. And their research showed that money makes very little difference. But what they called religious faith and spirituality were two of the four things they found made a huge difference. The other two things were personality and a good marriage. But religious faith and spirituality... I've got no doubt that because I was surveying people who live in Australia, that a lot of those people who talked about their religious faith and spirituality were people who have experienced God's salvation and his forgiveness that comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that comes through being intimately connected with the God of the universe in personal relationship. There can be nothing more satisfying, nothing more fulfilling than for your soul to be resting in God. And friends, God has made that happiness available to you and me. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our idolatry, to pay the penalty for our sin. It means that you and I can be forgiven. You and I can enjoy a relationship with our God, both now and forever. And so I want to ask, have you been forgiven as yet? Because there are some folk I know who come to church, maybe seeking after true meaning and significance in life, and have not yet quite crossed that line and put their trust in Jesus. Maybe you're someone who's been chasing the mighty dollar or wishing that you could. And you know that money occupies a more important place in your heart than it ought that place which rightly belongs to God. Well, the the Bible's warning is clear. 
but so too is the offer of forgiveness which comes through trusting in Jesus. But this is a message and a warning that applies to every single one of us here because we all need to watch our hearts. We all need to watch our hearts. No matter who we are, no matter how long we've been a Christian. In the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, Jesus said that there would be people who would receive the message of forgiveness with great joy and would engage themselves with with God's people. And in our context, uh, they may be people who come regularly to church, uh, who might even belong to a Bible study group, who may be very active in serving in church, perhaps even be a leader. But over time, they make decisions, perhaps even slow decisions, but incremental decisions which about lifestyle, about material possessions, about houses and holidays and goals and but material commitments which means that changes start to happen and so they have to work harder and they have to work longer at the job in order to afford the big mortgage or in order to earn the money to pay into what they believe will be a very good retirement nest egg And as they do that, going to church, being part of a church family, being engaged with encouraging uh, others in the church family, serving others, well, they, they, they kind of slowly pull away from that. So slowly sometimes that it's that it's hardly noticeable. It takes place over a number of years. They may not notice themselves and others may not notice. But Jesus says that the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things kind of grow up around a person like a strangler vine and choke the spiritual life out of them. And it happens, friends. Do you believe it? It can happen to you. It can happen to me. We know it can happen because it, well, it happened in the early church. Uh, when, when Paul wrote to Timothy... Uh, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'll conclude on this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I've put part of this on your sheets as a memory verse because it's so important. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. When the rich American Rockefeller died, you know, multi-millionaire, the reporter said to his lawyer, how much did Mr Rockefeller leave behind? What did the, what did the lawyer say? All of it. All of it. I've told you this one before. Of course he left all of it behind. It's always the case, isn't it? You can't take it with you. And Paul goes on to say, but... If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Are you content with food and clothing? What do you think? You need more. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and into a trap 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. They've walked away from Jesus. They're no longer Christians. And they have pierced themselves with many griefs. It's a great warning, isn't it? One of Australia's most uh, successful businessmen was the stockbroker, Rene Rivkin. Do you remember Rene? He was a very flamboyant, uh, eccentric uh, man, not your typical, stereotypical stockbroker. Um, sadly, he, uh, he died about six years ago. Uh, I remember seeing an interview with uh, Andrew Denton. And in that, in-, in that interview, he made the point, uh, he said that the truly successful person is not the rich person, but the happy person. That meant a lot coming from him. But he went on to say, but if you're going to be unhappy, you might as well be unhappy and rich than unhappy and poor. Well, friends, the Bible tells us where true happiness is to be found and it's not found in being rich, it's not found in being poor, it's found in being in a relationship with God, your creator. For your soul to be at rest in him, there can be nothing more rewarding, nothing more fulfilling than to know that you are intimately connected with your heavenly father who loves you and will love you for all of eternity so that no matter what happens in life, no matter how we live, no matter what difficulties we, we face, we can be no more satisfied than to find our joy and our peace in him, in him alone. So let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the intimate relationship and the joy and the peace and the hope that we can have in you. We thank you, Father God, that despite the fact that we have been idolaters, that we've turned our back away from you, that we've tried to fill our lives with other things, that in your mercy that you have granted forgiveness through the death of your own son, Jesus. And so, Father, we pray who is so conscious of that love and that great privilege that we have to be connected with you, that all of this world's riches and treasures would pale into insignificance and that we would rejoice, that we would be uh, totally satisfied and that we would be looking forward to our eternal inheritance. Father, guard us from the traps of riches and greed and help us to know how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.